0: This week's episode is brought to you by the TalkBuster podcast. Every episode, Chris Chipman and a guest reminisce their time working for Blockbuster. Now, even if you've never worked for a Blockbuster, I guarantee you'll find the stories both hilarious and relatable. One of my personal favorite stories was when he had a guest retelling his time of working at a porn shop the day before Christmas when they were just packed to the gills. So, listen to the TalkBuster podcast on all your favorite platforms today. and welcome to Geeks with Shields, your home for all things good and nerdy in this The Darkest Timeline. I'm Lord Commander Ulrich, and with me as always is...
1: His Shield brother, Axel Wright. How's it going today, man? Actually, it's going really, really bad, but I don't want to talk about that right now, so I'm yeah. going to try to be uptone and happy here because things are exciting and we're recording. So how's it going you? can understand
0: that. Uh, frustrating.
1: That, that's how I would describe today. Frustrating so we're in the same boat it seems yeah so why don't you just take us into our patron sound off and we can get on to happier things
0: yes our patron sound off is where we thank the people that make this possible by giving us money so that we can do this they are pam galley marky chris chipman river galley krug reed Steven and Arthur Crane. Now, if you'd like to become a patron, just head on over to patreon.com forward slash Geeks with Shields. For only 25 cents an episode, you get access to all sorts of great bonus content, and you get to make sure that we can keep doing this podcast week to week. Tonight,
1: we are joined by author and podcaster Jason Inham, who's going to share with us one of his Pillars of Geekdom. Now, what that means, Jason, uh, real quick, is that we have this metaphor we work with here at uh, Geeks with Shields that your your fandom, your geekdom is a house. This all started from a, uh, this concept I used to talk about called the foundational found- fandoms. Things you get into when you're really young that basically are the... roundabout reason why you get into things when you're older like for me things like star trek harry potter and pokemon are foundational because i was into them when i was very young and everything i'm into like the fact that i'm playing mass effect now is comes from the fact i was into star trek when i was a kid you know so pillars then are things that are like current and are strong and you're you know that are holding up your house so just things that are geeky fandom that you're really into that other things are kind of centered around does that make sense
0: Yes,
2: totally. Uh, do you want me to dig into that right now?
0: Yeah, just go ahead and tell us what one oh, you're cool. going to talk about today. Well,
2: first off, thank you guys for having me. And second off, uh, my pillar is also a foundational thing. Because it's always in my life, and that is Star Trek. Oh, that's a great choice for me. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, you guys, should I just dive deep right now? Yeah,
0: well, we'll yeah, just, start yeah, just, off just... with uh, the basic question, how you came to it. That's kind of how we start this, is how you came to Star Trek, and we just go from there.
2: Okay, um... So I first got into Star Trek because in 1987, when the Star Trek The Next Generation was going to premiere, um, it made the news. There were local news channels doing reports. There were reports on the radio. And my parents, who are not in the sci-fi, decided to watch the premiere, which happened on a Saturday on our local KSN channel that was broadcast out of Joplin, Missouri. And we watched Encounter at Farpoint. My parents did not like it very much. But I was hooked, and I was in. And from there on, I watched basically every Star Trek series live to air, as as much as I could, with any possibility. And Star Trek just has informed a lot of my life. It uh, originally made me want to be an astronaut, until I learned that astronauts need a lot of math. It has um, really informed my moral code. And, you know, it has led me to be uh, very accepting, of things that I think uh, a lot of people in America are, are still afraid of, which I don't think they should be. Because if they watch any episode of Star Trek, you know, in an episode where the devil in the dark, where Kirk and Spock are fighting against a bald monster creature that can burn through walls like it's made of acid to eventually learn that they shouldn't be scared of this devil in the dark when actually this devil in the dark is just a mother, uh, mother bear protecting its children. Um, And if we can accept a crazy ball creature like that, then we can accept anybody. So um, it's always in my life. Um, Everything I write is affected by Star Trek. So that's why it's definitely a foundation for me, but it's also a pillar.
1: You know, can I say, and I'm curious, um, I've always had, I mean, I don't blame your parents because Encounter at Farpoint is uh, not Next Generation's strongest moment. (laughs) But I always have this, well, I shouldn't say always, I'm I remember when Discovery was first coming out and I wasn't very into it, uh, people would be like – because my friends know I'm really into Star Trek too. They're like, oh, are you worried? And I said, no. Every Star Trek's first season is not very great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so usually it takes two or three to figure out what they're doing. Maybe D Space Nine is an exception, but – well, and definitely the original series is an exception. But that's well, D Space Nine still has a rough first season. Comparatively, I wouldn't say as much, but yes. Compared to itself, certainly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But I, I definitely wondered, agree with the uh, like all of that. I because I, I listed Star Trek as a foundational for me as well, and I do think a lot of my especially my moral compass has been shaped by it. So
2: nice, yeah. Well, it's, I mean, it's a good. It, it's it's always one of those things um, where you find people, and this is surprising to me when you find out that people that watch Star Trek are, are not open minded or not accepting. It's the same thing, like you know, there there is a giant comic book community out there that thinks that comics are not political and with that i'd be like well you need to go back and read the first issue of superman uh the first superhero comic that ever existed where you know he is literally dealing with social justice in 1938 and and you know star trek's the same thing and it's hard for me to not to not use it as a, a a sort of guide because that's what it is. It, it, it is a uh, Star Trek, especially when started by Gene Roddenberry, it is a uh, it's a moral uh, it's a morality story. It is. And those were actually big in the 1960s television industry. Uh, that's why t- t- every Twilight Zone is a morality tale as well.
1: You know, I'm just going to say for um because you happen to choose a foundation that shares mine, I also want to say that in my case, I got into Star Trek because I was aware of the original series growing up because my grandparents are super big sci-fi people. Like They got me to read things like Chronicles of the Lensmen and uh, Battlefield Earth and things like that. But I wasn't really into Star Trek until I was in – I, I want to say junior high, maybe early high school, and it happened to be the – I would get home – and right as I got home, the TV, like whatever the channel we had, because I didn't have cable, but whatever channel I had would always be playing Next Generation. So I literally had this chair that was like uh, formed perfectly, like Kirk's chair. And even though I was next, watching Next Generation, I still called it my captain's chair. It's like I come home, go to my chair, watch an episode of Next Gen. <laughs> mm-hmm. It was my That's ritual. awesome. Yeah. So you kind of already touched on uh, why you love it, but since I can actually touch on some more more details here, you said that it was uh, like me, next gen, I guess, that got you into it. But then going back and rewatching, you know, original series and whatnot. So um, as a franchise, right? What are the things you can point to that are your your big reasons for loving it besides just the effects it's had on you?
2: Um, one of the things I like about Star Trek is that it's us. Yeah, um, unlike Star Wars, Star Wars we're not Star Wars because Star Wars is a fantasy. It's the same reason why we're not the Hobbits in Middle Earth, right? But we are Star Trek. Star Trek is set in our 24th century. Like they have years. Um it's set on Earth. And I like the idea that it is one of the few sci-fi franchises that actually is positive on humanity. Like we in Star Trek figure it out. We put the details together. Um Especially like in this day and age, uh, many sci-fi franchises are dystopian. You know, we're going to fail. We're going to blow each other up. The apes are going to take over. Um, but, <laughs> but Star Trek, we, we work it out. And that's something that I, I, I really like. I really like the positivity. And um, I just really like that Star Trek is a bit smarter. Generally, most episodes of Star Trek are a bit smarter than the average television show, and I think that uh, that is also the reason why it's timeless, is because it's a bit smarter than just you know your normal popcorn. Let's watch a cop solve a crime
1: television show.
0: And I agree. Well, it deals with big ideas.
1: Well, yeah, it also exactly. I also feel like in general, with most television, and I do, I'm using that as, like, by the number statistic, like, probably 90% of television, uh, if you get one or two episodes across a series that are, like, you know, this is absolutely amazing, this is, like, worth maintaining in posterity, like, that's a good thing. Most sitcoms don't even get the one, but the fact that Star Trek, every series, usually has between two and five per season that fit that mold, as far as I'm concerned, is... A, a huge testament to it. You know, my mind instantly goes to things like, like the inner light, the measure of a man from Next Gen, or my favorite Star Trek episode uh, ever, which is uh, in the pale moonlight from Deep Space Nine. You know, things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. All right, just out of curiosity, from a, a, a it's not really part of the list, but what is your personal favorite? Like, how do you the the classic Star Trek questions? Like, favorite show, favorite crew, favorite you know member of a given position because i feel like i know it's cliche but you brought it you brought up star trek i gotta ask (laughs) um i mean i think the best star trek show is d space nine far and
2: away it's the best star trek show and i think because um gene ron gene ronberry even though he's the creator of star trek had this idea that humans in star trek's time could not have conflict amongst each other and as any writer knows that is the death of story because every scene must be about conflict. Every interaction must be about conflict. One character wants one thing. Another character wants another thing. So if your characters can't have conflict, there's no drama. There's it's not entertaining. Um, and I thought D space nine figured out the perfect way to have its humans be evolved, be a little bit better, come from a utopia. But, still act human enough that there could be conflict like they they were 90 percent utopia and then there was like 10 percent where they were like and i think that by allowing certain characters to grow like there is a character on d space nine called nog yes plate played by the late uh and great aaron eisenberg who if you follow nog from season one to where he goes to season seven it's an amazing, amazing character arc. And also it's a perfect example of the optimism and the beauty of Star Trek that this alien character by being around this utopian ideal becomes a better person.
1: I also love the fact that they use Nog as a vessel to take two strong concepts from previous uh, rocky stories, idea of hollow addiction and PTSD, and combine them in a really well done way. You know? <laughs>
2: yeah, uh, that is a that is a great episode in the last season of D Space Nine. Yes, it, uh, you're
1: referring to the episode where Nog loses his leg. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But I, in general, I the, for me, D Space Nine did so much for the Ferengi that I I you know can't praise oh. that enough, considering how easy it was to write them off in next gen. So.
2: Yeah, you're exactly right because. Um, Yeah, the Ferengi are ridiculous. Like, they are so, I'm just going to say it, they're dumb in TNG, and I hate to say that about (laughs) people's work, but they're really lame. They have laser whips, and they're, they're constantly concerned with having sex with alien women and getting their ears rubbed. And now, I will say that they are that in Deep Space Nine, too, but in Deep Space Nine, they explain to you how their culture works. Like they are basically every stockbroker from 1980s New York that you hate. And the fact that this is a culture that never moved past greed and never moved past capitalism, like that is exactly what that culture would be. And and yeah, I agree with you, because I remember going into D Space Nine and being like, oh, there's a frame on this show. This is going to be terrible. But Quark is one of the best characters on that show.
1: Oh, easily. And I love the. I think it's the beginning of season four. He has this moment where he justifies the Ferengi to Sisko, who is. I'll put this, you know, put the target on me, but Sisko's my favorite captain. Anytime someone ever comes up to me and is like, Kirk and Picard, I'm like, Sisko, sorry. I love Kirk and Picard. But anyway, but that moment where Quark basically says to him, hey, you humans look down on Ferengi, but I've read your history slavery, genocide, these civil wars. Verengi have nothing like that in our history because they solved everything with money, and it's mm-hmm. like it's easy to look down on them, but that's a really strong argument. <laughs>
2: yeah, I think that's a fair point. That's a fair point that a lot of uh, people forget. And um, one of, another reason why I love D Space Nine is there, and Cisco is is my favorite captain as well. Um, Cisco has a speech in the second season of D Space Nine where um, there's an episode I think it's called The Maquis. It's a two-parter. And Mm -hmm. in it, they're chasing down former Federation people that have become, that have joined this resistance called the Maquis. And he gets these orders from Starfleet and he disagrees with the orders. And he says, um, and he says, well, you know, Earth is a paradise and it's easy to be a saint in paradise. But we out here on D Space Nine do not live in that paradise. And I've always been like, that is a wow, that is a, just a line of dialogue that slaps you across the face with so much meaning that is amazing. And also, again, makes Gene Roddenberry's
1: perfect future a little bit more uh, palatable. Yeah. Well, first of all, Avery Brooks is just amazing. And he was actually teaching, I believe, at the time he was doing this as well, teaching acting. But I, you mentioned how like positive humanity is in star trek that that optimistic view i think has always been really important to the it's like star trek is like the ultimate utopian vision of humanity's future but the fact that deep space nine was so good at being as you just put being like okay a utopia has its own set of problems for the people who aren't in that utopia (laughs) Mm -hmm. exactly also as a side note as a, one, one side before I uh, – I don't want to cut you off, Ulrich, but uh, Golducott is like my favorite fictional villain ever, so.
2: <laughs> Golducott's pretty amazing, uh, yeah. and it's funny. It's interesting because um, he's also – they make him such a real character in that show. Um, uh, I uh like this again,
1: theory. Go ahead. Uh, love i love it. It's just a very simple theory. It, it strikes me that Golducott uh, – Star Trek's always been very big on choice – being able to carve out your own destiny. It was literally kind of the basis of the whole arguments between Picard and Q, the Q continuum. But Dukat kind of represents an interesting corruption of that. I feel like Dukat makes choices and the universe itself punishes him for making choices that we would consider morally good and rewards him for making decisions that we would consider morally bad. Like you think about just little things like, Oh uh, if we take his word for it in Waltz, which, yeah, he was going insane, but let's just take his perception of things, you know, cur- uh, at face value. He comes in to the occupation of Bajor. He tries to make things better, not completely because he's still basically space Hitler, but better than he, the previous prefect and universe rewards by assassination attempts and blowing things up. He uh, he takes in his his daughter, and like, that's a morally good thing. And he's rewarded by basically being shunned and demoted in a society. So like over and over again, Dukat is basically behaviorally reinforced to be evil until he just straight up joins space devils. So,
2: yeah, yeah, exactly. Because um, that's some some great points you brought up, because, yeah, I was going to bring up. There's an episode in season three where um, it's called Defiant, where um thomas Riker, the evil version of commander Riker, the version of my space dad uh because i look exactly like him
1: um a little, he, I, know I see it now
2: <laughs> yeah I've, I've heard that for years by the way i have a whole Riker shelf of action figures because i've i've been told by so many people that i look like commander Riker. but so commander Riker steals the defiant and goes and you know fires at some cardassians and they tell gold Ducat who at that time is not their enemy but like he's not certainly their friend and Goldicott has this whole monologue where he says, you know, today is my son's birthday. And today was his was I was supposed to take him to the zoo, the National Zoo. And 10 years from now, all my son will remember. He, he won't remember the happy day. He'll remember that the Federation took his father away from him. And you're just like, whoa, like, yeah, that's exactly that. That is a very relatable aspect to science fiction. And again, it also explains you know who this guy is beyond oh he's
1: evil yeah that's always been my thing is i feel like ducat is evil but he's evil because in a way that makes sense he was evil when we first see him but then we get to understand like well of course he's evil every time he does evil things it goes well for him every time he does good things things go terrible for him why wouldn't he be at that point exactly yeah anyway Ulrich, i don't know what you were going to say i'm sorry i cut you off i just got excited
0: no i was just kind of curious because star trek's one of those weird franchises to me i mean i Grew up watching it because my mom watched it when it first came out in the 60s. Uh, her and my uncle and my grandmother let them stay up late to watch it against my grandfather's wishes. So it was always on, but it never really connected me. I mean, I've been watching Star Trek my whole life. It has a place, but I'm not a fan of it. I always thought it was interesting because I hear two things. One, the movies are always a very hit or miss. And two, the first season of the series is typically mediocre or bad, and yet it keeps going. And I'm kind of curious if you have any thoughts of why this franchise won't go away. Won't It goes away for a little while, but it doesn't die, you know? Well, my theory is, is that
2: it's because the original one is so timeless. That's a big part of it. and And most of the series now... I can't speak to the modern ones that are being made right now because we have no perspective on them. But I can make the same claim about the 90s ones, all the 90s tracks. Even those, if you watch them now, there are some episodes in those ep- these shows that were being made in 1993, 95, 87, and 1966 that feel like they were made yesterday. Like, that's how the writing is on them. They're, you're like, wow, this feels like an episode that could have been put out of a Netflix show that literally came out last week. And I think that's the thing that connects. I also think the other reason is because it's not about the same set of characters. There's a, each show has a different ship, a different viewpoint, a different mission. So I think there's more, there's more, there's more entry point. Like you literally have, if you go to the original series, Next Generation, D Space Nine, Voyager, Enterprise, Discovery, Picard, and then you, let's say they add the movies on top of that. There's eight different gateways into this ginormous franchise, and I think you can pick and choose the Star Trek that works for you. Those are just my thoughts.
1: Yeah, you know, actually, in my case, when I when I got together with uh, with my lady, she had never watched Star Trek, and so I had to think, all right, I I've only been dating her, I'd only been dating her for a couple months at that point. What kind of shows is she into? And I realized that based on what I knew about her, the entry point should be Voyager. So I had her watch Voyager with me first, and then we went back to Next Gen and Deep Space Nine and Enterprise. Never got around to uh, original because she's a bit more. Like, I watch old Doctor Who. You know, I'm okay with older looking shows. She is less so. But my point is that I'm still generally of the opinion that, like, oh, Voyager was a you know, it, it was modern enough and like loose enough that it's a really easy entry point for people, even though I think it's like the weakest of that group. I know a lot of people say Enterprise, but I actually feel like season three and four of Enterprise are so good that it's sad I, that they get overlooked.
2: I agree with you. I think, I think Voyager is the weakest Trek series. I think Enterprise uh, comes, it gets into its own and
1: becomes a great show. I can tell you the exact moment, because I, I was enjoying Enterprise, I can tell you the exact moment I realized that Enterprise was a great show, and it was the one where um, Captain Archer throws a uh, a raider into an airlock and proceeds to start, start pulling the air out until he tells him about the Zindi, and... And Tucker, Commander Tucker's like, he's going to die. And he goes, not for another 30 seconds, he won't. And I said this moment where I was like, I've never seen a captain behave like that. But considering what happened at the beginning of season three with the Zindi and what's at the stake, and I don't know, I just had this moment. And then suddenly the rest of the season was that same kind of like awesome. But
2: you want to know how much of a Star Trek nerd I am? I know that's episode two of season three. I, knew it I know was exactly, I remember
1: which episode, though.
2: <laughs> uh, I don't know the name of it, but also I will defend Captain Archer until my dying breath because he's the only captain with an arc besides Benjamin Sisko Because yeah, no, cha- you ch- that. it's interesting because if you look at uh, Captain Archer's arc, and this is a, a a pitch to everybody out there who's never watched Star Trek Enterprise, I would highly suggest you do. Uh, again, first two seasons, whoo boy, watch out. Uh, there are some good ones in there, but in the first season, he's a total optimistic explorer. Boy Scout. It, yeah he's a total Boy Scout. In in the second season he's still a little bit of that but he's more cautious. In season three because they've been attacked he is he becomes like a hard ass military commander because like his planet has been attacked his ship has been attacked and he's tired of it. And then in season four he kind of gets pulled away from that. He They were like hey you can't be a military commander in space and so he sort of Finds this weird balance between being the optimistic Boy Scout and the military leader. And when that happens, he sort of becomes very Kirk like. And you can kind of see from his fourth season where you're like, oh, I understand how Captain Kirk comes from this captain like i see where if if captain kirk is looking at archer as the example like i see where that comes from and i and i think that's a very interesting story and that's why i think you should watch star trek enterprise streaming on netflix
1: i'm so glad speak. to i'm so glad to hear you don't know how many times i have to defend enterprise to people so i'm glad to have someone on my side <laughs> i have an nx01 on my desk right now my friend oh, i by the way i love the design of that ship in general I, do too. I love how it looks like a submarine and whatnot so welcome
2: to enterprise
1: pod everybody Exactly. I will say, though, that the one caveat to that is the quote-unquote last episode of Enterprise is, in my opinion, the second worst episode of any Trek, so just skip that one entirely. I, I
2: agree. I agree.
1: The only episode that's worse, in my estimation, is the next-gen episode that involves Dr. Crusher getting laid with a Scottish ghost.
0: Oh, that's a pretty bad one. Anyway, I love leaving that out of context. One that's incredibly racist also. Uh,
1: there's a couple. There's a, yeah, a, a Code a of, honor. of Honor. It's in the Next Generation.
0: Yeah. <laughs> the first season, like it's been a long time since I've watched that, but everyone's like, isn't there really racist one? There?
1: Like, yeah, it's pretty bad. But very the reason long why time that, since I've watched any Star Trek. Yeah, but the reason why that last episode of uh, Enterprise is so offending is that it's supposed to be the finale. The previous two episodes, which are uh, Terra Nova one and two, or is it Terra Prime? It's something like that, are really amazing like it and that ends with this archer giving this great speech and it's a celebration of the crew and the federation and then the final episode has nothing to do with the crew entirely it's all like next gen stuff awkwardly shoved into an episode a, a mediocre episode of the, of next gen and it's it's just insulting to fans of the series at that point <laughs> i can't think of like a lot of shows that did something like that yeah you're exactly right like the real finale is the episode before that finale <laughs> Anyway, I just had to add that in because I love Enterprise, but I always warn people about that. It's it's literally the only episode uh, – that and the, the Scottish candle one were the only ones that we skipped when I was going through it with My Lady.
2: <laughs> oh, I would skip way more than that, but uh, well done for you.
1: Yeah, well, some of them I didn't realize I wanted to skip until I was already like a good portion in, and then <laughs> like a matter of honor. But the 90s really... were
0: a different time.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: We're just going to use that for all old media. It was a different time. We didn't know better. We know better now. Well,
2: I don't know if we know better now. I think a big advantage of that is that when you look at how television was made in the 90s, um, in almost all the seasons of Star Trek Intel Enterprise, there are 26 episodes a season. And I don't care how good a writer you are, and I don't care if you have 12 writers on staff, you, you cannot make 26 excellent episodes of television. It's impossible. You cannot do it. Uh, You know, as a person who's worked in television, you can't do it. Um, You can barely get 13. Like, the only reason you you can get 13 is because, you know, you have the advantage of being able to see the whole season better. But when 26, like, man, you're going to have maybe you're going to have five that are that are transcendent. You're you're going to have, you know, 20. You're going to maybe have 15 that are okay. And then you're gonna have like five real bad stinkers, and that's just that's just the odds. It's what's gonna happen.
1: It's especially bad when one of the stinkers also happens to be a really important one, a la Skin of Evil from what season one or two of Next Gen? Season one. <laughs> yeah, I, I should...
0: hope our listeners know Star Trek. Otherwise, this is gonna be a lot of gibberish to them. For the well, record, if you don't know Star Skin of Trek, Evil... then,
1: then get on it. It's on yeah. Netflix. do that. Yes, definitely do that. But it's one of for, the most for your
2: franchises in the world.
1: <laughs> for your edification. Bold claim. For it. The
2: reason why this is important. Oh, is, let's uh, let's th- let's back up there. Oh, Bold yeah. claim. Uh,
0: why? Okay, so you're saying one of the most important franchises said, of all time.
2: Yeah, I said one of the most important franchises of all time. Yes. Okay. So why do you not think Star Trek deserves to be in that? And oh, also, I'm not if, saying... if, if not, then you need to name some franchises that can beat it.
0: I'm not saying it is or isn't. I'm just saying that is a. Bold claim to put out there without you know going on as to why because I mean there's a lot of great argument it right, really I- does put a positive future for humanity like guys if we've tried we could do this it has sometimes subtle messages about mate about well not sometimes subtle and sometimes not so subtle about you know this is what good people do and it has shaped a generation there's a lot of positive things to it but when I say bold claim I mean you just can't throw it out there without backing up and oh, saying I can back and it up here basically. are reasons why and that's I- why I was doing that setup.
2: I can, I can back it up easy, and I actually don't think I'm anywhere close to the minority. I actually think most people in the world, wherever you do, would agree with me.
0: Oh, um, yeah. Star Trek is lived on by its incredibly powerful...
2: I can say right now, um, in simple economics, there is no other franchise in the history of television or movies that have created as many television shows based off a singular idea as Star Trek. There isn't. There's not a single other television show. That has that has one. Hold on, I gotta count, guys. Hold on. One, two, three, four, five, six, and that uh seven. And that's not even counting the ones that are being produced that haven't been announced yet, which they they keep hinting at. Which that could bring bring the number up to ten. Star Maybe Trek you count has the
1: homages and the parodies as well. Yes, Star Trek
2: has affected technology in the real world. We don't. We would not have iPads right now without Star Trek. We would not have cell phones without Star Trek because the cell phones are a copy of the communicator from 1936. iPads are a copy of the pads from 1987 Star Trek The Next Generation. Like people saw that and were like, I'm going to make that. I'm going to make that real. I I can't. There aren't many other franchises. Now, again, like when I say other one of the great franchises, of course, in that list, I'm including Star Wars, which also affected a lot of technology. Uh, a lot of people became fighter pilots because of the Death Star run. Uh, Lord of the Rings gets in that as well because there are a lot of people that uh, have wanted. To, I know that wanted to become historians because of, of Lord of the Rings. Um, but like Star Trek is definitely in that list, like no doubt. And 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 if you doubt that, then my friend, I I or I'm not saying either of you specifically, but I'm saying the general audience, my friends, I would, I would uh, get yourself out there and educate yourself.
0: You know, that, that's one goes, of those folks. things. I, I challenged him. He backed it up. Now you don't got to leave comments going, I don't also, know
2: we're about all, we're Also, we're all friends here, by the way. We're not, no, yeah. like, yeah, I know.
1: <laughs> but I feel like it's funny, because that's one of those things that, regardless of your actual feelings on the show, that's just a statement of fact at that point. It's like, whether you like the show or not, you can't deny the impact it's had on the world, which is crazy to say as yeah, a sentence, yeah. but.
2: <laughs> it's the exact same thing. Like, like it's simply as, like, It would be like if anybody were to discount the James Bond franchise as impactful to film. And I'd be like, there are 25 James Bond movies. How is that not impactful? (laughs) Like, even if the films aren't great, that's impactful.
0: (laughs) No, you can't argue with the raw numbers. They keep going. And like I said earlier, a lot of those Star Trek movies are hit or miss. A lot of those series open. By by the way, here we
1: are the general rule and this there's no like hard rule, but the general rule is that the um the even numbered movies are better.
0: <laughs> yeah, I <laughs> know the system. It doesn't make any damn sense. I don't know how
1: that happens, but
2: although the reboots have have, have knocked that off the wall now because true enough. Uh,
1: in all I, in all I fairness think so. though, yeah, I felt like uh the third one was I mean, I don't even know how to say this properly, and I hate this makes it sound arrogant and I don't mean to be arrogant. But the third one's the only one that really felt like a Star Trek movie to me and I actually liked the first one the second one well enough but only the third one felt like the same I understand thing. your point there I think that's a fair point anyway sorry <laughs> no no it's all good
2: I was gonna say like I, I it's I, I love that you apologize for being arrogant because I was like I guarantee you half the listenership like shut off the podcast but I was like let me tell you why Star Trek is one of the best franchises <laughs>
0: But well, I've been described so that's all that matters.
1: <laughs> I've I been described as a self-hating narcissist, so it's easy for me to get lost in the solipsism. <laughs> anyway, nice. So, nice. out of curiosity, uh, just because I have to ask you these cl- these cliche things, like in my case, I think my favorite like race for a long time was probably the the Romulans, actually, because of how like crazy and mysterious they are. But I want to say that I just want to have an excuse to talk about Garak for a moment here because I can't imagine a character in any show I've seen that goes from like side character to main character that I wanted that transition more before it happened. You know what I mean?
2: Yeah. You know, it's funny. Um, Actually, Garrick is actually my favorite Star Trek character of all time. Um, And I know that's weird. Yeah, I know that's weird. Uh, So if you don't know, Garrick is, he's the tailor on Star Trek D space nine. But the secret is that they learn very quickly that he is not a tailor. He's actually a spy, an ex-spy, who was – oh, what's the proper word? He was exiled away from the Cardassian people. And his whole journey is about he wants to go home. He wants to go home to his home planet, and he doesn't want to be around these strange humans because humans are weird for him. And, you know, as he learns – like we all learn the lesson that after a certain amount of time away from home, when you finally go home – Home is not home anymore. And what is that like? And he is interesting because it's funny because Garrick is almost his beliefs and his system and the, and, the, and the way he operates is almost like a modern, a current day CIA agent. Like his like how he feels about how you can question people and who you can murder and stuff like that. And uh, it's interesting to see him clash again with the this idealized human.
1: I also love that he's another example of, hey, let's take an idea that was moderately successful in a previous uh, series and let's make an episode using our current tools that's better. What I mean by that specifically is I really like the um, next-gen episode symbiosis about the, the two planets that one is has the other completely under its drug sway. But I felt that taking Garrick and having him do a story about addiction with the the device in his brain was a lot more effective in like – This is how people who are not in his exact position but are in a position where they are miserable can be – pulled into this kind of never ending spiral of uh, substance abuse, you know, like it's, mm-hmm. it's not connected at all in a physical tangential way to like the real world thing. But it's so easy to be like, wow, this is a powerful message about this thing. And that's a statement you can apply to so much of Trek. And that's just a really like one of my favorite examples of that, you know?
2: Well, and that's the that's another perfect example of like, what I've been saying about the idealized, you know, h- human is that, Garrick at several times in that episode tells Dr. Julian Basir, his best friend, to leave him, leave him, leave him, stop helping him, stop helping him. And uh, Julian never leaves
1: because he's – because humans have become better. And uh, what a great moment. What a great scene. Also, for for anyone who uh, still has not convinced yet, I want to say that Garrick has a line in that episode. I will spoil this line and I won't – but he tells these various stories about how he got exiled and they're all different. And then at the end, he's asked point blank to his face which ones were true. And he's his response is, all of them. And then when pressed, even the lies, especially the lies. Yes, exactly. Anyway, I just an excuse to say that because it's amazing. <laughs>
0: Man, I know that line. I don't even know why. So you do admit that Star Trek is one of the best franchises <laughs> in the world. Because so, you know that's never line. going to contest <laughs> it. <laughs> I this was this I, this was part of my childhood. I was sad when Leonard Nimoy died because I remember watching Original Trek with my uncle and my mom going up, I'm not a fan of Star Trek, but it has been a pervasive part of my life forever. There's no escaping it for
1: me. Oh, I wanted to mention you were talking about what it's like to to write a show. And recently, Ulrich and I did an episode where we were talking about the the nature of streaming and how streaming has really changed how shows tend to be written now. Because of uh, binge watching culture. And I know that it, apparently on the internet, the go to example for the best way to combine serialization and episodicness is Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And I love Buffy the Vampire Slayer, don't get me wrong. But I feel like. Seasons four through seven of Deep Space Nine are my personal perfect example of here's how you tell serialized stories with episodic stories within them.
2: Yeah, they're pretty good, and you know, it is interesting because yeah, we are in a streaming world, especially um, especially like when you I don't know if are, are either of you watching Star Trek Picard? Not yet. Okay, well this isn't this isn't a spoiler. This is a more of like a method of how they're doing. There are no spoilers unless if you haven't seen it, anybody out there. Um, it, uh, Star Trek Picard is so serialized that it's almost like a novel that you can't watch episode four without having watched one, two, and three, like most modern shows. Um, and sometimes it's hard to judge the storylines or and sometimes there are episodes that are nothing but setup in this serialized world because, you know, it's all one long story. And, and I do think you lose a little bit of something. I think some stories, I think it depends on the story, right? Like certain stories should be told that way. And I think certain television shows Uh, should be like D Space Nine. Um, You know, another great example of that where there are two other shows that popped in my head where they sort of have an episodic mission, but there is a serialized thing that takes you through the entire season. Um, Fringe did that really well because Fringe is Mm -hmm. serialized, but it's still episodic. And there was a great CBS show that a lot of people slept on called Person of Interest. Um, And that was a sci-fi show that Jonathan Nolan created right
1: before he did Westworld. Uh, I mean, I, I like French, but I, I don't know Person of Interest, so...
2: Person of Interest is one of my favorite shows of the last decade. It's so good, and, and no one I saw that. I one never get into no it. One saw. I, I it. I watched it.
0: I so, could never get into it.
2: I'll give you the secret sauce. They, they And they bury the lead with Person of Interest, because they make you think that Person of Interest is about, like, oh, we're going to save the Person of the Week. Like, it's sort of a cop show. and it And it sort of is. That is the Mission of the Week. But the serialized story... Uh, Person of interest is about artificial intelligence. And as the seasons go on, it leads to a war between several different artificial intelligence devices and the you show see, never be- got that far. and the show becomes about like, wow. are these things alive? Should they be controlling our lives?
0: I never and, got past the procedural crime drama of the week bit of it. Like I, I watched a couple episodes. I had the three episode rule. Like this just feels like procedural, but with a twist. Okay. Yeah. And now you're telling me this is where it going. I might to give this
2: a try. Yeah. They, uh, they don't quite get to the AI stuff. And, and and there's like, there's a little bit of a problem again. It's not just Star Trek that has the first season problem. It, I generally find it's most shows and, and, and I totally understand it because when you are, writing scripts for a television show generally you maybe write the first eight to ten before you ever film anything sometimes you only get three but generally it's like on an average six to ten ish somewhere in there and then when you're if you're a writer on said show it's like say you're writing episode 11 you're starting to see the dailies come in from episode one So you're starting to hear how actors are saying certain lines, how certain actors are acting with each other. And then when that starts happening, you can like reformat your script. You can be like, oh, okay, this character, like Garrick, really works well with Bashir. So I should write more Garrick and Bashir scenes or Bashir. The actor can't really say this type of dialogue. So I should write other types of dialogue. Um, So that's why I find most television shows really lo- don't lock in until like the end of their first season, if not the second season, because, again, they don't quite know what the show is yet because they haven't seen how
1: any of the actors perform the character. It's very fair. I've always I've always uh, said that as I mean, not that exact that idea, but the explanation I always gave is that it always felt like Trek in particular is trying to figure itself out for the first season or so. And I think that's true for a lot of shows as well. And it's funny because I feel like there's also plenty of shows where the opposite is true, where the first season is dynamite and then they just don't have steam because they didn't expect anything afterward. They had but, one good idea
2: and that well, that, that That's so funny. That is a very common problem. I usually find that problem happens when um, most shows that run out of steam in the second season where you're like, well, what is going on? That means that that writer, whoever the showrunner was, the executive producer, they had an idea for a movie, not a television show. Ah. And and the movie ended, and that's with season one. And, you know, they're like, well, the movie's over, and we don't have a sequel, you know? You know? That makes and, and sense. Sometimes it's hard to tell. I, I generally – it's funny. I generally find uh, – I had, I had a very – experienced writer tell me this once that a movie is the last day of a thing and a television show is the first day of a thing so if if you in your story if you answer all the questions you find out who all the villains are you do all this stuff like that even if that happens in the last episode of season one that's the end of the movie because at a television show you, there should always be a dangling thread or a, a an unanswered question to take you into the next season. If you answer all the questions, you're done. And I think that's a, a, a show that I had a big problem with that was Heroes, like yes, they, yep. they beat the villain in season one, the biggest, baddest villain they ever had. They, they defeated him at the end of season one. And I was like, cool. So is season two, we're gonna meet a whole brand new group of heroes and we're gonna see their villain. And then when I saw season two and it was the same characters, I was like, but their story's over.
0: Yeah. I kept uh, hoping that show was gonna get better. Like, okay, that first season was really good. Maybe, okay, season two. Okay, you didn't get. How about season? oh, no, no. This is this really isn't going anywhere. Damn.
1: Anyway, uh, if you don't mind, I've got two very related or closely related questions that I wanna wanna ask you, Jason. Sure. So one, uh, since you. Uh, know this track ups i it's funny i feel like any other given day i'd be about as good as you at naming off the episode names i'm just out of it right now (laughs) it's all good man (laughs) but so question these are two questions one if you had one episode to show to someone to be to to sell them on the franchise what would that be and two we talked about how important the show is to like The world in general what what effect it's had i know that in the community generally speaking city on the edge of forever is held up as the best episode of trek i don't know if i agree with that but i see the argument so when we think about like what episodes are important not even necessarily good but important what are the ones that come to your brain so two ideas
2: oh that's interesting um uh so most important and the best episode to show like a newbie
1: yeah, and again, like the my idea of the best episode to show someone isn't my favorite episode or the best episode, but um, I'll just put this out there. Mine is Darmok because personally, I feel Darmok is a great encapsulation of what Star Trek is as a whole. But anyway,
2: that's a that's a good episode. I would argue that that is in both of those categories. Uh, that's a good choice. Um, I actually think the best episode to show someone actually is my is it's my actually favorite episode of Star Trek of all of them, and it's the Visitor. It's um episode I'm gonna two. Cry. <laughs> Yep, it's episode season. it's episode 2 of season 4 of Star Trek D Space 9. And the reason why I think it's a great episode to show is because it's a standalone episode. It doesn't tie into anything else and it is about at the beginning of the episode they do this mission with Captain Sisko on the other side of the wormhole and Captain Sisko brings his son along and during the course of them looking at this weird, the, the worm, wormholes turning colors, I don't remember exactly what happens. They're doing this experiment. The experiment goes wrong and it kills Captain Sisko. And uh, you might think, hey, spoilers. Well, that's the teaser. I'm teasing you to the episode. And we get to see how Jake, his son, deals with the loss of his father. And it is i think so profound and so moving i think it ties into everyone i think if if you are a man or a woman i think it deeply deeply ties into uh the relationship you have with your father and when you see how this character lives and deals with this grief now i will say there is a sci-fi twist to this of course i will not tell you what the sci-fi twist is it is because you should watch it but um I, I dare you to watch that episode and not cry. And, and I, I did, think it's
1: certainly, I mean, I yeah. cried.
2: I mean, <laughs> yeah, it's a, it, the ending is just devastating. And it's but it's devastatingly beautiful at the same time. So I think that's a great episode to show somebody because it's like it's a great story, has a little bit of a sci-fi hook. And it, and it has and, and everybody of the crew makes an appearance. So you can kind of get like, oh, OK, this is sort of a Star Trek episode. Got it. Another great one, I think, to introduce people to is Yesterday's Enterprise, which is an episode from The Next Generation. And basically, uh, the Enterprise D with Captain Picard, uh, they come to a rip in time, and the Enterprise C comes through the rift. And as soon as it comes through the rift, their entire timeline changes. And they're suddenly the warship Enterprise, and they're in a great war, and they're losing. And the conundrum they have to face is... Do we send this ship back into the past to reset our timeline to their or to their deaths? Or do we leave everything as it is? Um,
1: and Tasha Yar gets to actually be good in an episode. Yep.
2: And and she gets to be in a great episode. Um, In terms of most important episodes of Star Trek, I think one that everybody sleeps on is an episode of Star Trek D Space Nine called Far Beyond the Stars. And that was the one that was most important to Avery Brooks. Yes, <laughs> But it that is an episode where um, Captain Sisko uh, gets into an accident and when he wakes up, he wakes up as a black man in 1950 and he has to live the life of a man of a black man living in America in New York in 1950. And when you see some of the realities that he has to face, you're like, oh, boy, and it comes down to this: the idea that um, he remembers the story of Deep Space Nine, and he is a science fiction writer, and he tries to write the story of Deep Space Nine. And the publisher immediately is like, well, nobody would read that story because it stars a black man. And that episode is, is, is very, very important. Um, I think City on the Edge of Forever from the original series is a great, very important episode that's pretty strong. There's an episode of uh, Enterprise called Dear
1: Doctor. It's By the, in the... way, the Phlox is, again, more reasons why I love Enterprise. I love every episode that focuses on Phlox. And yes, yeah. Dear Doctor is amazing.
2: Yeah, Phlox is it's one of the greatest characters in Star Trek. And and um, Dear Doctor is in the first season of Enterprise. And I, I would name it as most important because it deals with evolution. Uh, there's two species on the same planet. So it's like the idea of like us and the Cro-Magnums. And the idea is that the more the more evolved species, the species that has technology, uh, they find out that they have a chronic genetic disease. Like, they are going to die. The Cro-Magnum species doesn't have this disease, and they're evolving and doing stuff like that. And it comes down to the, the, the morality of, should the crew of the Enterprise help the more advanced species, even though evolution says evolution on their planet— is getting rid of them Um, you know and and that's a very very interesting episode to have to to think about and and deal with
1: Um, it's it's important for everyone to know that um, you know Star Trek has this concept called the prime directive which actually is used in um, in real world like theoretical exo studies Uh, the idea of when people talk about the Drake's equation which is how many alien species are there potentially people are like how come we haven't seen them one of the possible reasons given is this idea the prime directive in Star Trek what this means is the the enterprise or the Federation in general does not interfere in the cultures or in other people's cultures especially those that are less developed because they found that time and time again when a quote-unquote more advanced culture interferes with a less advanced culture it does nothing but harm to the less advanced culture yeah You can point to real world examples of like colonialism and stuff like that to see the metaphor. But enterprise takes place before that exists. So the fact that they're struggling with this concept of do we have the right to like completely alter the course of this planet's evolution just because we can and it doesn't really offer an answer. That's kind of the actually beautiful thing about it, is that it's they they make a decision. Yeah. The decision is that it's is it's a hard one you know.
2: Yes, and, and that's why and and that's that's what I think is so great and that's the thing that's another thing why I love Star Trek is that the greatest Star Trek episodes deal with hard choices.
1: Um which is why I want to add real quick to your list. Yeah, feel free. Um the Progenitor because the Progenitor yep, is one episode, of the most, Enterprise. Yeah, it's one of the most emotionally complicated episodes I've in my estimation. The Progenitor for again, anyone doesn't know, very simple. There's not even really a heavy conflict the enterprise meets a crew of aliens that are very nice. They're they're not evil. They have no ulterior motives. In fact, they get along really well with them except that they have three genders and the third gender called a progenitor, there's only one of on the ship because they're extremely extremely rare. And because they're extremely rare, they're not really afforded the same rights. They're basically as the other slaves. Two. Yeah. So already that's like, that seems pretty obvious. But then Tucker, because he's like interested in this and also is just a straight up decent person, starts talking with this progenitor and starts kind of teaching them stuff. And I'm not going to say how it ends, but at the end, no one is right. Like, there's no easy answer. There was no obvious good thing to do. And there was really no way to win in the situation. And it's it's so difficult and i love Mm -hmm. it
2: and that's and that's what is at the basis of science fiction like science fiction should comment on the hard choices and the choices that we it should make us look at stuff that we are dealing with currently today but like dress it up with aliens and technologies so that we can understand the moral implications that's what good science fiction does because if it doesn't do that then it's just normal fiction and that's less interesting
1: which I think is a good segue into our last question. This is how we like to, to end these now, which is, um, and expand on this as much as you want, but very simply, what does this pillar of geekdom say about you? The fact that this is one of your pillars, what does that say about you? You know, um, God, that's a great question. And
2: that's a it's such a hard question to answer at the same time. The thing it says about me Is basically that I think that no one is gone, that there is no person on this world that is too far gone because we all come from, you know, the same genetic stock. We all live on the same planet and as as evil as we think that some people are and as far gone as people think we are, that 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 you can save anybody. And that anybody can turn it around. I, and I, and I think that's the lesson I've learned the most about Star Trek. And I, the reason why I say that is because that's that's the stuff that I try to put in the most in my own writing is this idea that, you know, everybody kind of has everybody deserves a second chance. and because we as humans can always be better. And I think that's the lesson
1: I take from Star Trek is be better. Love it. Well, uh, at this point then, and by the way, I totally agree with you. I, I got to really think about what it says about me, but I feel like you already did it very well, so I'm not going to step on your oh, you. <laughs> beautiful uh, beautiful end there. Instead, we're going to give you this time now to plug whatever you want. Well, of course, the
2: thing I need to plug is is uh, my comic book right now that is currently on Kickstarter. It's at least on Kickstarter for the next, I- until the next seven days, until February 20th, and that is Jupiter Jet and the Forgotten Radio. It's over, you can find it at jupiterjetcomic.com. And it is the sequel to our Ringo-nominated comic book series that we published with Action Lab. And it is about um, Jackie Johnson, who is the superhero called Jupiter Jet, uh, who is a young woman that's trying to save her planet from a dangerous interplanetary threat. Uh, It's basically Kim Possible meets Men in Black with a girl in a jetpack. It's set in 1936, um, and we have a lot of fun with it. And there's a lot of um, character beats in it. And it's all about... Our hero learning she wants to go into space, she wants to find aliens, she wants to save her world, and learning that, you know, maybe she should be a little bit more practical and pragmatic before she jumps off the deep end. Because when she jumps off in the deep end in our story, uh, she is going to learn that lesson the hard way. Um, And there's a lot of interesting characters, we're having a lot of fun. We have Ben Matsuya on art, uh, Liz Kramer on colors, Taylor Esposito on letters, and um, we have a lot of great great rewards over on our kickstarter and we're already funded so if you come over to our kickstarter uh it just means you're pre-ordering the book so uh we have a lot of cool stuff over there including um some uh script reviews from professional writers including uh joseph malozzi who was the showrunner uh and executive producer of stargate sg1 stargate atlantis and stargate universe he will critique anything you want if you come over and support Jupiter Jet and the Forgotten Radio over at jupiterjetcomic.com That's some good prestige right there.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm.
2: well, we want to make sure, we want people like, you know, we're the same way. We want people we wanted to um, you know, learn and uh, when we were coming up in comic books and we asked a lot of people, we wanted to make sure that we could provide that when when we uh, were making our own comics.
1: I very much approve. I also totally see the, like it's very connected in this idea. I mean, I believe uh, Ashley said that it was a little more superhero-y than science but still, the fact that it's yes. a girl with a jetpack is... I can see the connection.
2: <laughs> it, we, yeah, we like to call it a science fiction adventure comic. I like that term in general.
1: <laughs> anyway, Ulrich, I'm sorry that I feel like this time we basically shut you out but i think you were out of your depth so
0: oh yeah like i said i know star trek but i'm not a fan of star trek and i'm not going to try and dive in you just go been watching in. on
2: netflix the entire time we've been talking i know you have
1: <laughs> well the orville that's my star trek
0: <laughs> that's well, a good actually,
1: show I, I like the orville actually i do too but Oric, uh, why don't you give us your suggestion of the week then, so you can have, actually have some time in the spotlight.
0: <laughs> All right. Uh, my suggestion of the week is a really interesting one, both in title and how I came to it, it, uh, is uh, Don't Fuck With Cats. I don't know if either of you have seen this on Netflix or not. No. Nope. But I was sitting at my computer doing some editing on an episode, and uh, Slagathor, our producer, started watching it. And I just you know, kind of started watching out of the corner of my I didn't think anything of it. And it is a true crime documentary about how a Facebook group tracked down and caught a serial killer in Canada. Wow. I had to stop editing. Like, wait a second then, what is this? I'm like, okay, let's watch the next episode. I need to know if they caught this guy, because it really sucks you in. And it all basically started by the guy posted some really messed up animal abuse videos online, and they were determined to track him down. And it's three episodes. It's really short. It's all on Netflix. And honestly, I never would have watched it if she hadn't been watching it while I was editing. And I'm like, I can edit, or
1: I can watch this. Oh, decisions, decisions. I... I don't even know what to say about that. I'm going to have to at least look into it because that sounds pretty hardcore. Yeah, don't watch it if you are
0: squeamish or – because it, it's pretty – they don't show any of the actual videos. But the dude was a serial killer, and that is entails what you think it entails. But it is three episodes. I think it's like three hours total. It is super engaging. And don't let the title mislead you.
1: All right. Well, uh, my suggestion of the week is – this will be very quick – Better Call Saul. I know it's not like it's not obscure or anything, but it's what I've been watching lately. If you like Breaking Bad and for some reason haven't seen Better Call Saul yet, do that. Anyway, Jason, do you have a suggestion for us?
2: Yes, I, I've been uh, watching this series called Counterpart. It stars uh, J.K. Simmons, and it is about um, there's a, apparently like 20 years ago, uh, an experiment in Germany punctured a hole into a parallel universe. And the parallel J.K. Simmons comes to our world and, you know, uh, mucks things about and ruins things. And it's a spy series about parallel universes. And apparently it aired on Starz like three years ago. And I had no idea that this series existed, but it's free on Amazon Prime. And
1: I think it's quite good. Well, I'm actually a huge fan of J.K. Simmons in general. So... Yeah, what was
0: that called again? I want to make note of
1: that. Counterpart. All
0: right, yeah, I'm going to check that out. That sounds good. Mm-hmm.
1: It's really
2: quite good. You get a, you get a lot of scenes of uh, J.K. Simmons acting with himself, so that's great.
1: I very much approve of that as someone who, like, Whiplash was my favorite movie of the year it came out, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so anyway, before we go in our outro, we'd like to thank you again, Jason, for coming on and chatting with us.
2: Guys, thank you so much for having me, and thank you so much for dealing with my uh, end-of-day work brain uh, that I know uh, hiccuped us up a couple of times. But we talked about Star Trek so much that I had a blast, so thank you so much for that.
1: I had a blast, too, and it, you know if you ever want to come back on again, you're totally free to. If you want us for anything or you want to plug anything, you let us know.
2: <laughs> totally. I, I, we could talk Enterprise. We need to do a whole Enterprise episode, man.
1: I agree with that. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Ulrich, you want to take us out? Yes. Uh, thank
0: you all for listening. Be sure to like, share, subscribe. Do all the things because that is literally how podcasts live or die.
1: And whatever platform you're currently listening to us on, thank you. No, really, thank you. I know I say this every time, but it still boggles my mind that people are paying attention. You're awesome. We are currently on SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, Pocket Cast, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. If there's another platform you want us to be on that is not listed there, tell us what it is so we can look into it.
0: As always, this has been Lord Commander Ulrich.
1: And his shield brother, Axel Wright.
0: Be sure to tune in next time, and as always, stay honorable.